at the core of any strategic communications, public diplomacy, public affairs, influence, deception, mission is the narrative. And whether we are overseeing or planning an information and influence or a persuasion campaign, the core, the starting point is the narrative. So what is strategic narrative? Well, unfortunately, there are as many theories and definitions of narrative as there are theorists and scholars of narrative, according to Steve Corman. To make matters more complex, the very idea of the nature, the phenomenon of narrative, may differ from village to village and neighborhood to neighborhood throughout the world. But if you look at the last 2,000 years of scholarship, so we're looking at the fine arts, we're looking at all of the humanities to include history and literature, we're including, in the last 20 years at least, most of the social sciences, and we're even including uh, health, biological sciences, uh, we're also looking even at theoretical sciences, so neurobiology, psychiatry, for example, as well as cosmology. But there are four common themes to most, not all, but to most definitions or understandings of narrative. The first is identity, that narrative reflects the identity of a community, of a nation, of a people. It can comprise deep-seated ideologies and belief systems, history, language, even dialect. Second, strategic narrative may also offer meaning. This may be important, especially important, during developing events. It allows a community to gauge meaning amidst a pandemic, amidst a natural disaster, amid an economic depression, for example. Third, a strategic narrative may comprise of one or more stories. And if we are going to study the story or stories of a narrative, we want to study the content of the story, the storyteller, the storytelling craft, the means of transmission, how the story is received, how the story is understood, and how the story possibly can move people. And fourth, in addition to reflecting identity, in addition to providing meaning, in addition to comprising one or more stories, a strategic narrative may be used with a purpose, to, oftentimes to inform, to influence, or to, uh, to persuade. Deception being a subgenre, a subdiscipline of influence, not something you have to agree with, but something I'm going to put forward uh, later on in the semester. Unfortunately, there is no formula for a perfect narrative, for a great narrative. But there are some common traits of historically, seemingly successful narratives that we'll talk about in the next few days and we'll talk about throughout the year. So I want to talk about a special kind of narrative. I want to talk about something that I like to call, at least, and many other scholars like to call, foundational narrative. So a foundational narrative, I want to use the analogy of a tree. A foundational narrative, this is the root system. This is that rich soil and the water that goes into the root system, the stuff that's below the ground. People's assumptions about the world, that's a foundational narrative. And then the trunk that you see in the branches those are just the narrative, just plain word narratives, what you can see. So what I just described was the branches and the trunk. What I'm going to describe now, foundational narratives, is what's below the soil. 
arguably narratives or narrative warfare was a foundation of civilization. It's leaders convincing people to follow them and bind together beyond the clan. As I discussed in the last podcast, it was never enough to be the strongest person in a clan. We see from a number of studies in business, in archaeology, in paleoanthropology, in neurobiology, for example, that we can only really know and deeply trust and directly lead about 150 people at any given point in time. There's no biological mechanism to direct or manage more. But something interesting happened 70,000 years ago, which many historians and paleoanthropologists call the cognitive revolution or the dawn of human history. This is not the ability to tell stories. We already had the ability to tell stories tens if not hundreds of thousands of years before that around campfires. But this is the ability to communicate abstract stories or narratives, long or foundational narratives especially. This is long after tools and weapons and medicine, long after early spoken language and the controlled uh, daily use of fire. Narratives and imagined realities allowed people to unite beyond the clan. It allowed strangers to bind together in what we call today social contracts, and it allowed clans, because very much, much of, there are swaths of the world where tribal culture is the culture, it allowed clans and tribes to be more united. This is behind these imagined realities, these narratives that bind people together. This is from which we get statecraft, warfare, defense, and strategy. As neurobiologist Miguel Nicolas says, all this complexity, he's talking about the human brain, allows the human brain to generate all the attributes that define the human condition, the entirety of our culture, history making, and civilization. Our brains are not passive receptors of information, they are more generating how we see and view the world, especially through this idea of foundational narratives. Imagine realities, these national mythologies, sometimes called sacred values, they fueled shared psychological orders. They allowed many people to believe in intangible ideas like nation and state, money, law, order, shared history, and evil and equal rights, things that have no precedent in nature. It allowed the first kingdoms, it allows the first civilizations, and eventually the state system. At its most extreme, especially strategic influence, what some people call narrative warfare, today sees government or sees the same thing as we saw tens of thousands of years ago or tens of millions of years ago, <clears throat> tens of thousands of years ago, sorry, um, that's government strengthening their own foundational narratives while trying to influence adversaries to abandon their own. So you want to strengthen your foundational narrative and you want to weaken those of adversaries. So think of the Kremlin, trying to undermine the efficacy of democratic institutions, while building up the importance of having a strong man in, in the Kremlin, someone that is a strong man against the chaos of the world, the chaos of the media, and the chaos of democracy. So before 68,000 BCE, 
we could really uh, lead or directly know about 150 people in order to have a community. You need to, be, to directly know everybody and trust them and look them in the eyes and know their names in order to bind together in these small communities. But with foundational narratives around about 68,000 BC in Central East Africa, um, leaders could unite and lead tens of millions of people. Some go so far as to say that we're all born storytellers. It's not something that we just do as part of our species. Nick Pizzolatto uh, says this, a screenwriter. That storytelling is not something we do, but it's who we are. We certainly seem biologically tuned to devour some types of compelling abstract narratives. There are a number of hormones and there are a number of um, brain processes that occur, neuromodulators specifically, that activate during effective storytelling, that increase trust and sympathy, that heighten our memory and our visceral investment in a narrative, not just in the characters, not just in the story, the identity, the meaning, but also the people telling these foundational narratives. So once you've created these imagined communities, these foundational narratives, you then need to defend those national or those foundational narratives. As Kissinger said in our reading, those under assault are challenged to defend themselves, but also to defend, importantly, the basic assumptions of their way of life, the assumptions behind their foundational narratives. And that, as Hariri has said, has said uh, not in this particular talk that you had for today, but in uh, a book that he had written a few years ago, uh, imagined orders are always in danger of collapse because they simply vanish once people stop believing them. And this is why we see leaders throughout the world today, just as in 68,000 BC, going out of their way to strengthen their foundational narratives, something that Jill Lepore talks about in her reading from the last lesson. Foundational narratives are inherently fragile. And so strategic leaders strengthen these foundational narratives through what we call culture, through education, through ritual, through rites, through law, etc. When successful, foundational narratives will be internalized by your populace. When successful, foundational narratives will actually change or develop the neural architecture of the citizens of your state to the point where your populace will reject and be physically repulsed by intellectual attacks against the basic assumptions behind our foundational narratives. We find that the brain acts in a similar manner to an intellectual attack on a person's foundational principles as it does to a physical attack. So think back to a time that someone said something incredibly offensive to you, to your community, to your service, to your faith, to maybe a value that you hold near and dear to your heart and how that made you feel. When successful foundational narratives, as I said, they affect the neurobiology or neural architecture of our citizens, the foundational stories shape how we see and sense the world. Now the brain certainly receives signals, but does not do so in a vacuum. Instead, the brain is actively and predictably generating guesses to make sense of the world. 
And these guesses are predicated by those foundational narratives, how we understand the world. Our minds actively generate the world. Quoting uh, a quote from a reading that we're going to have a little later, um, many neurobiologists suggest that as much as 95% of what goes on in our sort of awareness is the subconscious. It exerts a huge influence on our lives, beginning with making our lives possible. Even the most reasonable thoughts and actions mainly result from automatic and unconscious processes. This is from the book Subliminal. To the point where values or your foundational narratives may seem visceral, instinctive, obvious, oftentimes compared to gravity. This is instinctive and obvious, independent of new information. We find that it can be undone, that foundational narratives can be unlearned, but it takes time, it takes effort, and it takes the will of the person who wants to change. And so two of the case studies that we'll be looking at later in the year are the Exit Sweden and Exit Norway programs, which attempt to get some prisoners to self-de-radicalize. And the findings are not conclusive yet, but the findings thus far suggest that it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, the will of the person who wants to change. And then when they come out of prison, it really does take an entire community of professionals to support that person through their new life. Long-term effects unknown. So, once we have foundational narratives, we have these imagined realities, we have these social contracts, we eventually created you know, a state system from the Peace of Westphalia. Then, and I'm talking about the first half of this podcast, then we can look to what's above the soil, those branches, and we can use narrative, exploit narratives, amplify narratives in pursuit of our national interests. Thank you.